Hey everyone, welcome to a very special episode of the podcast. Today, I'm joined by our nation's top doctor, U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Murthy. Welcome. Uh, thanks so much, Gael. I'm really glad we're going to have this conversation. Me too. So, Dr. Murthy, to start off, you're heavily prioritizing mental health in your tenure. You've sounded the alarm on youth, the youth mental health crisis. So I really want to know, why now? Well, Gail, mental health has been something that's been important to me for a long time. You know, I had the privilege of serving as Surgeon General earlier in the Obama administration. And during that time, I was seeing all across the country that people were really struggling with their mental health. And it reminded me of my experiences as a doctor caring for patients, where I saw so many people also struggling with depression, with anxiety, with loneliness. And the truth is, I wasn't just observing this, but for many parts of my life, I was going through this myself you know, struggling with my own mental health. And especially when I was younger, I didn't know how to describe that or make sense of that. And I certainly didn't know how to talk to other people about it. And I felt this real sense of shame about it. And it was during my time as Surgeon General that I realized that I wasn't the only one who had been feeling like that. And it wasn't just the patients I was taking care of. It was millions of people all across our country who were struggling in silence. And this is particularly true among young people where the rates of anxiety and depression and suicide have increased dramatically over the last 10 to 15 years. And so this is why I decided to focus on this topic because I think that mental health is a foundation for our health and well-being. It's a part of health that's no less important than our physical health, but one that we haven't paid attention to enough. And the result of that is that we've got more people suffering uh, and those mental health struggles are impacting their physical health, how people show up for their families, how they perform in school, uh, and how they engage in the workplace. So this is really fundamental to who we are. Interesting. And you've been placing a big emphasis on youth mental health. So what exactly have you been hearing from youth that have urged you to place an even bigger emphasis on us young people? Well, I, one of the things that I find really interesting and encouraging about this space is as significant as severe as our struggles are with mental health, I do think that there's a lot of promise here because we actually know a lot of the things we have to do uh, to address mental health from addressing stigma to increasing access to care to investing in prevention. We just need to do more of that. And when it comes to young people in particular, and the reason that I uh, focus on youth mental health in terms of the uh, Surgeon General's advisory that I released at the end of 2021 and other initiatives we've taken since then is because these, these struggles, particularly struggles like loneliness, are in fact greatest among young people. And we know that young people are facing a unique set of factors that prior generations did not face. You know, like when I was growing up, for example, if I did something embarrassing uh, in seventh grade and second period, you know, 30 kids knew about it and they forgot about it two days later. Uh, but now if you do something that maybe you're not proud of or you're embarrassed by, uh, someone records it, you know, it lives you know, in perpetuity uh, and it becomes, can become a source of real stress and embarrassment for someone for a long period of time. Uh, but we've also seen uh, that what young people are facing today is unique in other ways too. For example, uh, there's this growing threat that many young people are rightly worried about regarding climate change. And young people are seeing the threat of racism and violence in their communities. Uh, and they're asking how we are going to get through uh, these challenges. And they're worried that we're not doing enough. And they're right that we've got to do a lot more. But finally, I would just keep this in mind too, which is that loneliness, which has been a struggle for people across the age spectrum, is really hitting young people the most. And it's a combination of factors. You know, it's it, partly that uh, technology, while it has a lot of good dimensions to it, it's allowing us to do this interview today and to, to get messages to lots of people. 
Uh, but certain types of technology and social media in particular can, for many people, have the impact of worsening their loneliness and isolation, of accelerating this culture of hyper comparison, you know, where we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people and we always feel like we come up short. So my worry is that our current generation of young people who we need, you know, for the future, for we want them to succeed, but they are are saddled uh, with the burden, uh, I think, of loneliness, of anxiety, of depression, because of a number of unique factors that this generation is experiencing. And I think it is our collective responsibility to make sure that we're shining a light on those issues, that we're addressing the sources of anxiety and depression that are driving uh, young people's concerns, and that we're also bringing young people to the table to help inform and drive those solutions. Because in all the conversations I've had, Gael, around the country with uh, young people, whether it's elementary school students, middle school students, high school students, or college students, they are remarkably insightful and thoughtful. They know a lot of what's driving uh, their concerns. They know a lot about what they need. Uh, what they need is for right now is for other, you know, the older generations to come together to listen to them and to help give them uh, a seat at the table in driving solutions. And that's what I really want to do as Surgeon General. That's Amazing. And I think it's it's right on what even I myself think about the reason we have so much of this loneliness is like you mentioned, the internet can be such a great place for really great stuff. And, and it's interesting to see the way it can be so isolating yet so community oriented because it's giving you access to communities that before the internet, you might have never found out because they simply weren't around your area. But now you can connect with these people that you feel represent you best at any moment in time. But I wonder if that has led to a side effect where now maybe young people aren't exploring different communities and expanding their bubble and perspectives because of the internet. And there's not enough of that in-person interaction. And when COVID, when things shut down, that probably made it worse, made new habits. So do you think there has been a growing anxiety around meeting people in person and this in real life interaction because of you see people talking about dating apps? No one likes dating apps. They hate being on them, but they're also, I feel weird talking to people in person. That doesn't seem normal anymore. Is that contributing to the issue? Yeah, it's such a good question, Gael. And I think you're really onto something there. I think you're right. I think the lack of in-person engagement, the growing discomfort that many people have with starting conversation, with interacting with people who may be different from them, have different points of view. I do think that that's taken a toll on us. I think it's contributed to more isolation. Here's the interesting thing, Gail. I know there's a lot that's unique to this moment, right? The technology we're using, how we're interacting. But as human beings, we've been around for a very long time, right? For thousands and thousands of years. And over that time, we evolved to interact with each other in certain ways, right? So we evolved to, for example, not only listen to the words that someone else is saying, but to appreciate their tone of voice, to appreciate their facial expression, to understand and interpret their body language, and all of that is an important part of how we communicate and connect with somebody else. We lose a lot of that like when we're not in person. We lose even more of that when we're relying predominantly on texting someone, for example, versus seeing their face and hearing their voice. And so the more of those sensory inputs we lose, uh, the less rich the interaction becomes. Now, that doesn't mean that you should never text anyone, right? Like texting is immensely useful for all kinds of reasons. But it does mean that if we don't have enough face-to-face, uh, -face, in person interaction in our lives, it can diminish over time the quality and fulfillment that we get from our relationships. So that's why that's really important. And I think that when you look at the breadth of challenges we're facing today, Gael, mental health-wise, physical health-wise, 
I think that one of the most important public health issues that we have to address today is the growing disconnection and loneliness that we're facing in society. Because if you understand more about loneliness, and I've had the opportunity to dig into this over the years, as somebody who not only has seen loneliness all over our country, but who experienced it a lot as a young person myself, uh, you know, I've come to realize through the, the science is really rich around this. It tells us that when we struggle with loneliness and isolation, our risk of depression and anxiety goes up. But over time, our risk of physical illness goes up too. Our risk of heart disease, of dementia, of southern death, of sudden death, of sleep disturbances, right? And you not, may not care that much about those kind of things now, but over time, those really build up. And think about the folks in your life, like your parents, your uncles, your aunts, your grandparents. Uh, they need social connection as well. And so rebuilding our connections with each other is one of the most important things we can do right now to strengthen the fabric of society, to improve our own health and well-being, and to enrich the lives of people around us. Because if you're out there, if someone is listening today to this conversation and you're feeling lonely and you're feeling isolated, it's important that you know you're not the only one, even though it can feel like that at times. And when we reach out to each other, when we help connect with one another, we're really helping other people who may be struggling with the very same challenges with isolation that we're feeling ourselves. Interesting. And so I think that brings another question to my mind, which is when we talk about loneliness and overcoming it, does overcoming it also require a mixture of both physical and a mental shift in habits and behaviors to actually be able to take the benefits in from no longer feeling lonely? Because it almost seems like every young people, every young person I talk to is is lonely and I never really get a response when they're like, actually, I'm not. I have all these things. And that's where I wonder the importance of things like gratitude, mindfulness, and combining that with the physical elements of actually meeting with new people and spending quality time together. Does it require both to overcome that feeling? Yeah, it, it's very insightful, Gael. And, and it really does because loneliness is not only about your disconnection from other people. It's actually also about your disconnection from self about worsening self-esteem, about losing a sense of self-worth. And this is where loneliness can actually become a downward spiral because the less connected you are to other people, the more you come to feel over time that that's because it's your fault, that there's something wrong with you, that you're lonely because you're not likable or you're not lovable. And no one wants to feel that way. And you know, I tell you, this is very visceral for me because that's how I felt as a child. When I was struggling with loneliness in school, when I didn't want to go to school, not because I was scared of teachers or tests, but because I was scared of being alone, over time I came to feel like it was my fault, I was doing something wrong, maybe you know I was not likable in some way, and that was very stressful. But it took me years to realize that a lot of my classmates were feeling the same way, and it, but we never really talked about it. So in order to really address loneliness, on the one hand, yes, we do need to engage more with other people. And it doesn't have to be complicated. It could be simply reaching out to other people in our life and saying, hey, I'm thinking about you, how are you doing? It could be setting up a time to hang out, with someone and just get a meal or get pizza or, or you know or just hang out together um, it could be anything simple but the other piece that we've got to do is to make sure that even in the time that we're alone that we're spending time appreciating ourselves and others gratitude which you brought up which i love is such a powerful way right for us to remember the light in our lives and there's a lot around us that's reinforcing the darkness in our life right we're surrounded by news and in an information environment that's always telling us what's wrong about the world Right? And often what's wrong about ourselves and then trying to sell us usually a product to help fill that gap. Uh, but the truth is, there's a lot that's right about the world. There's a lot that's good about ourselves. Uh, and I'll just, you know, you and I just take 10 seconds for a moment here. 
uh, if we just like close our eyes and if we think about somebody in our life, you know, over the last year who has been there for us, who has showed up for us at a time where we needed it, someone who we could share a joyful moment with, someone who cares about us for who we are, not because of what we can do for them. And just think about how good it feels to have someone like that in your life, whether it was recently or a long time ago. Just feel how good it felt to receive their love and to know that you're worthy of their love and their kindness. And let that soak in for a moment. And just open your eyes. And what you were feeling in that moment, that's the power of human connection. That's the power of love. That's the power of what we can bring to each other in our best moments. And what's incredible about this, Gail, is you, know, you don't need to be a doctor or a nurse to help somebody heal in this way, right? You just need to be willing to show up for somebody uh, with a little bit of kindness, with an open mind and an open heart, and a willingness uh, to listen to them, to, to be there for them, and to, to see them as a whole person. And you can do that in just a few seconds by asking someone how they're doing and actually listening uh, for what they have to say. That's, I think that's amazing. I agree. I think a lot of young people, um, we all need to learn how to support each other in, in the times where we might not even know we need it. And of course, give each other a lot more grace. I think that's something that our generation maybe struggles with. That's one of the interesting struggles we have is learning to encourage growth and understand what it looks like when you're at a point that you're not really proud of, but giving them the support and encouragement to be a better version of themselves. Ultimately, that's that's what's most important. So it's I guess to end off. Just one thing I want to say about that is what you said is really beautiful, and I want to circle it, star it, underscore it, the, the word grace, because that is what is missing. And, and I would say even more broadly, not just in your generation, but for all generations, in my generation as well, right? If you look at the world around us, it's hard not to feel like people gotten a bit meaner, that we're less forgiving of each other, uh, that um, we are living in a culture where condemnation comes so easily and so quickly, rather than understanding yeah. uh, and grace, as you put it. And one of the most powerful acts uh, of change that we can engineer you know, as, as a society is to reach for kindness, to reach for grace uh, in all moments, not just those moments where it's easy, but in those moments where we disagree with someone or we see something or hear about something that someone's done that, done that we don't like or doesn't make sense. There's often a story behind that, right? And so to be able to, to again, reach for understanding to, and for kindness rather than for anger and condemnation, that's not always easy to do, but it's an act of defiance, you know, in, in a sense. It's, it's an act of, as I think of it, of, uh, you know, clearly stating our values and who we want to be. Because the truth is, like, whether it's now or in the future, when you think about your life, Kyle, and when I think about mine and I think about my children, like, we don't want to live in a world where people are always angry at each other, where everyone is scared about what they can say, where no one feels that they can truly be themselves because they're scared about being judged or condemned. Like, we don't want to live in that world, right? We want to live in a world where we can be ourselves, we're going to appreciate other people for who they are, even if they're different from us, and where we can grow and thrive, right? That's what we have the power to create, not through policies, not necessarily through laws, not even through programs, but through the power of 
our emotions, our speech, how we treat one another, right? So that actually, I think, is what we can build together, that movement for kindness. That's what we need in society. And I really think young people actually are the most powerful agents for change that we have in that regard. Because if you look at history, Gael, big change, especially cultural change, has always come not from people in their 50s and their 60s and their 70s. It's come from young people, from teenagers, folks in their 20s, who have not only the courage to imagine a better future, but the strength to take action to create that future. I agree. I feel like there's been, that has been proven time and time again, um, where, you know, there's been moments even in my own personal life where I could have chosen to be angry. And I think anger is often a choice from my perspective. And there's a lot of times where I chose to offer a little bit more kindness, a little bit more grace. And over time, almost every single time you notice there was something going on. There was another reason that the anger was never worth it in the first place. And that's something that I'm very passionate about. So I'm glad you're equally as um, you have a lot of belief in us young people to really push that forward because I think it's important. And so my last question for you so you've been talking and mentioning about the loneliness you felt as a kid. So I want to know, do you still feel that? And how did you overcome it if you don't? Oh, that's just a good question. Um, you know, I do feel it from time to time. And you know when I really felt it, Gail? Was when I was serving as Surgeon General last time during the Obama administration. And it might seem strange to say that because that was a time where I was surrounded by lots of people, right? And I was constantly meeting folks in communities across America. But I'll tell you this, being lonely is not about how many people you're around, right? It's about the strength of your connections with them. And I made a critical mistake during that time, which is I put my work ahead of my relationships. I said, you know, I don't know how long I have to do this job. I'm going to put my everything into this job. I'm just going to focus on this. And I let my friendships and even my relationships with family uh, weaken over time. Even when I was with family, like I was distracted. I was on my phone or I was checking email or I was doing work. And I now look back on that and I realize how much uh, of a mistake that was. Because the truth is, I became lonelier and lonelier as that my time as Surgeon General uh, during those years progressed. And when I finally uh, finished my time in the role, and when I then no longer had work in that community, I felt profoundly alone. Because I didn't have work to occupy me, but I had lost uh, in, my, in my mind so much of the community that I had. And I had to rebuild that. And so this time around, I've tried to learn from that lesson and uh, try to stay close to family and friends, recognizing that it's not a choice, in fact, between your work and your friends uh, and your family. And when we, when we invest in our relationships, it actually helps us do our work better. You know, it's like filling our tank, if you will, our emotional tank, which uh, allows us to show up uh, throughout our life in a, in a better way. So uh, I'm a better surgeon general now because I am a better dad, I'm a better husband, I'm a better brother and a better son and a better friend. Uh, and I'm, I try never to forget that. I do slip from time to time, but that's the lesson that I try to hold on to from the past. I love that. I think that's immensely valuable for young people to hear. And so with that, Dr. Murthy, comes the end of our time together. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you so much, Gael. I really enjoyed this conversation. And thank you for everything you're doing uh, with your podcast uh, to help create a community for young people across America. I really appreciate you.